us pray. Father in heaven, we ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us your word. Teach us in such a way that uh, we have your scriptures begun to be fulfilled in our lives uh, more and more into that perfect day of our going to be with you and of your coming to this earth for your bride, the church. In Jesus' name, amen. already heard in the previous studies of Ephesians, which is Ephesians, which is a book that we are going to as an exposition of the church. We noted how we are chosen by the Father, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse 4. How we are redeemed by the Son. Verse 4, according as he had chosen us in him, in Christ, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Also, in verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And then last time, how we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The Apostle Paul now prays for the church. He starts it as what might be a prayer of thanksgiving. He says in verses 15 and 16, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Such faith did not exist before. As he, said, as he notes, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, there was a time that they didn't have saving faith. And they did not have love toward all the saints, as, his, as he expressed in his prayer. Brotherly love is the manifestation of our love to God. As our Lord said to his disciples, by this shall men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one more another. God's will is secret. No one knows about until he reveals it through his word to our hearts and minds by his spirit. Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And it started by our learning about the Savior. As our Lord taught his disciples, said to his disciples, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, 
by the meek and lowly in heart. And you will find rest unto your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And through our Lord, we get to know the Father. As he prayed prior to these uh, words of injunction, all things are given unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Father save the Son. Neither knoweth any man the Son but the Father, and he to whomsoever the Father or the Son will be to him. It goes, and it goes from there, I should say. Maybe I should say instead, it grows on from there. As it is written, I have not seen or ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. The deep things of God, very essential for the Christian life. Growth is important, for it evidences life. And more than that, it is the enrichment of our faith and our Christian lives. There's a threefold divine purpose that's laid out, I believe, in the balance of these verses. And the first is the hope of our calling, from which I derive our title. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. It's God who calls us. God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that is why we have hope. That we are no longer in darkness. For we are following the light. He has promised that when we do, that we will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. It is a hope that doesn't make a shame that we have as a result of our having been saved from our sins, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. It's Romans 5, 5. And because that hope is, is here, it's not going anywhere. And no, neither are the children of God, finally. John says in his epistle in 1 John 3, 2 and 3, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and if doth not, doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope purifieth himself even as he is pure. There's a spiritual song that I remember our uh, singing many years ago. If I can find it here, I hope there it is. Trust in the Lord and don't despair. He is a friend so true. No matter what your troubles are, Jesus will see you through. Sing when the day is bright. Sing through the darkest night. Every day, all the way. Let us sing, sing, sing. And this is what one may do when he has blessed hope, which is Jesus Christ. The glory of our inheritance is another very important purpose in the life of the Christian. We discussed that briefly before. In verse 18, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. It is an inheritance that will never perish. 
Peter put it this way. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. If something is reserved, such as your seat at the next Chargers game, and you have the ticket in hand, no one else is going to sit in that. If they are, you're going to have first dibs when you show up. This is our hope. A hope that will never fade away. Nor will we. You and I will never perish. That's promised, even as Peter goes on to say, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's 1 Peter 1, 2 through 5. Read it for yourself. And why? Because we have a down payment of heaven already in our souls. As we learned previously in verse 14 of our passage in Ephesians 1, which is the earnest, down payment, that is, that's what earnest means, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. We are the ones that are that purchased possession. The inheritance is in us. We are part of that inheritance of Christ under the praise of his glory. Why do you think this down payment is called earnest? Well, we're not getting into the technicalities of the Middle English language or the King James. Uh, earnest, take it for what it is, means that you are earnest to have this possession, right? Just like uh, my son and his wife, as they're looking at purchasing this bigger house, and they show their seriousness of their intention by the earnest or the down payment they put on it. And if you're a child of God, you know what I'm talking about. We talk, we're talking about really and truly a person, and not so much a place where we're going to be forever and ever. We're talking about Jesus. We use the words of Paul. For this cause, I also suffer these things, and he suffered a lot of things, didn't he, for the gospel's sake. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. He doesn't look back with any regret whatsoever. And you don't either, if you are following Jesus. For I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I talked earlier about the word of God. He will enable you to keep that which you committed to memory against that day. Even with Alzheimer's and dementia and all the rest that may come upon you. I remember a dear old gal in the Lord, one of those uh, old Filipino grandmas that uh, I, I, I met early on in my Christian walk. I've done a number of them, and, and it's amazing how God sent them, sends them my way. And uh, you know, this one had at least dementia because she didn't recognize her own children. And, and she didn't recognize them. She certainly doesn't remember anyone else outside of the family, but one thing I recall at her deathbed was her reciting the scripture. 
happened so amazing. I just put me to shame and made me all the more committed to the Lord to whom I've committed his word. Our inheritance is not just heaven. It is the one who fills heaven, and that is Jesus Christ. And third and lastly, threefold divine purpose of God, the hope of our calling, glory of our inheritance, and lastly, the exceeding greatness of his power. That's ours too, yes. Verse 19 of Ephesians 1. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Seems like we can't use that word power enough. It's like other references to the power of God and to salvation in Scripture. And how that power is, is, is greater than all of the resources, all of the fuels in the world combined that provide us with energy. This is the energy of God. This is the spirit of the living God. The divine purpose in the Christian life is realized by God's power. It's really what this is about. We are on a path which daily, in which daily we experience the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. At least I hope we are. It does depend upon some effort on our part, such as our desire for the scriptures and, and prayer at the throne of grace on a daily basis. Do you do that? I trust you do. Faithfulness at the means of grace, such as in the worship service. Praise God that you're here. Pray for those that aren't. The Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus experienced the exceeding greatness of the power of his Father before us, ahead of us. And this experience becomes the basis and the reason for the Christian's hope for our hope. And we read verses 19 through 23 again. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who to believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. If the Father did this for his Son, if the Father exercised his mighty power in behalf of his Son, we know about how he raised him from the dead. He sustained him in his sufferings too, I might add, prior to and up to the cross. But he raised him from the dead. He also restored him back to his right hand, did he not? He also enthroned him at his right hand as the one who is king of kings and lord of lords. And also, he established him as the head of this church. And as you can see, intimated here, the church is at the center of his purview. 
And I say it is at the center of the entire created order of this universe. The church is. And we will be looking into that as we go through the book more and more. We see resurrection power in verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Such is God's power that made the universe, but different, for Jesus was dead, vanquished by the powers of darkness for a time. Before his resurrection, he could die, his body could die. He was mortal, after all, and he did die. But after his resurrection, he can die no more. So think about that. Even those raised to life from the dead live to die again. Take, for example, his dear friend Lazarus, when he personally raised from the dead. Although it's not recorded that he died in, the, in, in this uh, body, we know that he did. But Jesus. He says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. 1 Corinthians 15, 54, the Apostle Paul relates to us. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, it's referring to the first fruits of the, resurre of the resurrection, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The strength of sin is the law. Ascension power. This is the part that I don't know about you, but I'll be honest and say, I don't think about his ascension as being something that illustrates God's almighty power. Verse 20. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. This was an amazing feat, let me tell you. In fact, those disciples, when they saw him go up into the air, their mouths were wide open. Their jaws dropped. And you know why I know that? Because two angels appeared and said, Why are you gawking? Or why is your you know your countenance such? That same Jesus whom you see go up visibly, gloriously, and victoriously will come in the same manner that he left. One day. He will. If God the Father left his resurrected son in the world, if he didn't ascend, no doubt Jesus would reign as Lord here. Think about that. He would have cleaned up this whole planet. Eventually all human leaders would succumb to his authority. But the Father chose to put his son in a wider sphere than that. In this little old planet. Notice far above all principality and power and might and dominion every name that is named. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. He's talking about powers and authorities that go beyond our president of the United States. And whatever president or king or tyrant there is in every nation in this world, those are, those are subsumed. Those are going to be at his feet. Those will be part of his footstool as well. But we're talking here about things that we don't even have a clue about. We know about angels and about the different levels of angels, and perhaps that is what is alluded to here. But 
while we don't know what these principalities and powers and might and dominion and names that are named are that lie beyond this little grain of sand called planet Earth, by the way, we can be sure of one thing, that the Father has set the Son above them all. When he placed him at his own right hand in the heavenlies, we can be sure of that. And he reigns right now, and whatever commotion is going on in the world, whatever commotion is going on in your life, he rules. He reigns, and I trust in your hearts, which is the throne room of God. What a mighty, marvelous experience our Lord Jesus must have had when he ascended back to his right hand. Because when he left, he left impoverished, as it were. He left behind his glory. It says that, it says in the word that the grace of God is that the one who had it all left his throne in glory and assumed the place of servitude to his father and to us who are his loved children. <clears throat> and that for a time no longer, no longer. What a mighty and marvelous experience it will be also, I might add, for the children of God who will share in his glory one day. We don't know the half. Then there's his enthronement power. Verse 22, it hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. The church fits in there somehow. It says in the Bible, he said that, that, that his saints will come and judge with him in the last day. And I don't know anything about that except what he said, okay? Uh, man by nature refuses the Lord Jesus. We will not have this man to reign over us. You hear that so often. I hear that so often out there. Nah, not for me. It's uh, for, you know, you, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll grant that. But uh, imagine the thanklessness and the gratitude on the part of, of those who, whose lives have literally been overwhelmed with showers of blessings. And if this is the attitude, oh, I, I fear and quake when I, when I witness that every time. I may say something to that, I may not, but I fear and quake. I hope you do too. And especially I mourn. I mourn because I'm sad because you do not realize what they're missing. I pray that you're the same way in, that, uh, in those things that you, you have uh, not... Uh, Realize this, the headship of Christ over his church. An administration of a state and the headship of a church are two different things, like we talk about in the separation of church and state, and, and I believe that in this way, that boiled down to this, that neither is to have any business sticking its nose in the other's business. That's what I mean. And ultimately, the Lord uses the states in order to bless the church with peace and tranquility so that it can continue on in its worship and service of God. Now, Jesus is going to have them both. He's going to have the best of both in the end. 
recall his words upon his ascension, and I can picture him as he's starting to rise up saying these words, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And as he's rising, he goes on to say, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, disciple all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you, and lo, I am with you all even unto the end of the world. No, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm flat on my face. I'm wondering, Lord, I cannot serve you enough. I cannot live for you enough to know that the same power that works worked in you is, is in me. He's coming back. He's coming back because he has his bride yet to redeem. Christ is the head. The church is the body. They stand in closer relationship than a king and his subjects. More like a husband and his wife. As the Apostle Paul would put it, Ephesians 5, that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved also the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy. Without blemish, it will be on the last day. I know you're probably scratching your head, thinking, "Boy, that will be the day." <laughs> like I did, like I did. So here we have resurrection. Here we have ascension. Here we have enthronement. Here we have headship, all secured to Christ by the mighty power of His Father. In conclusion. Three things that we need to do. First, realize more and more the hope of our calling. It is just that, a hope of our calling. And it's a hope that is not a hope so. It may or may not come to pass. It is God's hope. Just as surely as he has promised that he will return to the Lord Jesus, the blessed hope, it will come to pass that we will go to be with him. As the Apostle Paul would put it in Philippians 3, 12 through 15. Philippians 3, 12 through 15, and I'll draw your attention to this in closing, so if you follow with me. Not as though I had already attained, either already perfect, mature, complete. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, Thus minded. And if in anything we be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. So, the first thing, realize more and more the hope of your calling. And when we 
grand and glorious and marvelous calling it is that we have. As Spurgeon once said, if they knew that you were one of the elect, they would tip their hat to you. Like in the old days, you know, they'd be wearing their derby. Okay. Second, recognize what are the riches of his glorious inheritance that we have and all that yet awaits us. Said that was the Apostle Paul said, God said, but as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. This is what God wants for us. This is what God enables us to have access to, if but we would recognize that. Recognize the treasure that we have. We have treasures in heaven. Our Lord says not to seek the treasures of earth where moth and lust not corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But to seek the treasure that he has to give that is in him. He is the treasure. He is the reason for the season, and not just for the season, but for eternity. Eternity. Thus, set your treasure on things above. And also, for this reason, because where your heart is, there will your treasure also be. It will be revealing of where you are spiritually. If you do what I say, and recognize what are the riches of his glory and his inheritance that we have in the city. And third and lastly, freely receive the exceeding greatness of God's power so that you and I may more fully avail ourselves of God's purpose now in this life. That power is available. It is there. It is like a resource that is untapped. It needs to be, of course, tapped. As he says, and this is our closing scripture in Romans chapter 8, 14 through 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, the children of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby you cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and children and heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. These are the reasons for the hope of our calling. For our flesh is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. As a hymn that I came across this morning. The Lord is King. I own his power his right to rule each day and hour. I own his claim on heart and will, and his demands I would fulfill. I trust that that is your prayer, but also your song. 
and you shall receive power that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts, parts of the earth. Shall we pray? Father, for how great how grateful we are for your so great salvation. How thankful we are for the hope of our calling that indeed is a marvelous and glorious and God-honoring calling. One that you cause us to be lifted up in spirit even as our salvation draws nigh and to praise you and to be steadfast and to be unmovable, and to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because the time is drawing near, and our opportunities to make good with your goodness to us expressed in these ways is slowly drawing to a close. And so, O oh God, work, I ask in this congregation, 